0: Welcome to the Big Screen Symposium 2018 podcast. The Big Screen Symposium took place in Auckland on the 26th and 27th of October. Please note, while many of the speakers used clips in their sessions, we've edited these out to better suit the podcast. CEO of the Swedish Film Institute Anna Serna has garnered international attention for her radical work towards gender equality in the screen industry. In this electrifying talk, she provokes us to think differently about gender equality and lays out her step-by-step plan to achieve it. So, uh, it's fantastic to be here and I'm so honoured that I've been invited and taken here this very, very, very long flight. Uh, but uh, I had a fantastic night's sleep, so I'm, I'm happy. And I was so uh, pleased to uh, take part of yesterday when Wanuri Kahiu, I think you pronounce her name, who did Rafiki, when she was talking about her job and her film out of the word joy. And I think that that is exactly what I want to talk about, the joy of quality, and I will just uh, give you a hint of how uh, I, what we have achieved in Sweden since the past five years. This doesn't really tell you a lot, uh, but that was the, all the films that premiered in 2017 on theatres in Sweden during the whole year. And it was the first year where... All the films were made by 50-50 men and women. And you might... Yeah, it's worth an applaud, actually. Uh, You might have recognized some of the award-winning titles, like The Square that won the Golden Palm, Same Blood that traveled around the world. Uh, We actually won Sundance, 2017, the International Prize. We won in Cannes. We won the Animation Prize in Annecy. We won uh, we opened Toronto International Film Festival. We won in uh, the European Film Awards, which is the European Oscar. Took six of the prizes there. Uh, And we won the European Parliament's Lux Prize, which is covering, like, everything. It was 50-50. So, that is actually the proof that I'm making when I've always said, when I started off my work at the Swedish Film Institute in 2011, everyone was complaining. I don't know how you... You're probably not complaining in New Zealand, but <laughs> uh, in Sweden, everyone complained that our films weren't good enough, that they were mediocre. Look at all the other countries. Look at Denmark. They're doing so good films. So the starting point was disappointment, a little bit of whining, uh, and like, uh, I mean, I think it's quite common that you start off at a point that you're not very happy, and then at the same time, you can really notice that there are some things that aren't working. Like, we only funded 26% women. So, at the same time that everyone was complaining, we were not taking in the whole talent support and the whole talent base. So I actually, this is now what I'm saying, that I was challenging the quality with gender equality. But uh, really, I wasn't at that time combining those two thoughts in my mind. But I really knew that we wanted Swedish films' quality to enhance... And at the same time, I was really convinced that we need to start fund women and men on on the same way and giving them the same opportunities, as I was totally convinced that women could achieve as good as the men could. So so the quality talk is not controversial because that is always a little bit blurry and no one really understands how to talk about it. But the gender equality was much sharper. But I start off uh, 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 describing for you what we mean with quality. Because what I started off saying was, uh, I might just start saying, the Swedish Film Institute is a funder like the New Zealand Film Commission. So we have uh, maybe 225, maybe, no, 35 to 40 million New Zealands. Dollars a year uh, to fund films with. Uh, And without us, there won't be any films. Swedish is a very small language, so we don't get a lot of international money otherwise. Uh, So if we say something, that will really have an impact. And uh, I'm the one signing off the decisions to what films to fund. But I'm not doing it because I'm reading the scripts. I have people that are reading scripts and uh, seeing things and in the end being part of development and in the end they propose films for me to fund and we fund maybe 15 long features a year so that's not a lot but maybe 40 shorts, uh, 20 documentaries, I don't know. So it's quite a few films, but only 15 long features. And those are the ones with a bigger budget uh, compared to the other ones. So those are the ones that I'm focusing on. Because if you focus on the long features, the rest sort of comes along. So when we sit and take decisions, the people that are proposing, they need to uh, describe for me why they want us to fund a film with, let's say, 2 million New Zealand dollars. Uh, and they always sat at the table and saying, yeah, you know, this is an amazing film. The characters, okay? The characters. Yeah, but what about the film? Yeah, but you know, it's a story you never heard before, so you have to, we have to do this. Okay, uh, And but what more? Yeah, but you know, you can feel it in your stomach. This is so great. And um, for a lawyer... That is not good enough. Uh, so, and for being someone that's been working with gender equality for quite a few years and heard about the Boston Symphony Orchestra case. I don't know if you have heard about that case, but I will take you through it fast. The Boston Symphony Orchestra, already in 1999, wanted more women into the orchestra. Uh, and they decided to do the audition anonymously. So they had the jury... Men and women. There are no differences in people's decision-making if they're men or women. So the jury was sitting in the auditorium and the musicians came in on stage and then they had the closed curtain. So the musicians came in and they did their little song, depending on what kind of instrument they had, and they went in, did the song, went out, and in the end, the jury had to pick. And from all the musicians, they picked more men, which was very disappointing, of course, because they wanted the women. And then you can start thinking, so the men, maybe they were better. Maybe they actually have a DNA gene that makes the musicality, I don't know, better. Or it's because they have longer fingers, so they reach better. Or the social constructive answer would be women take care of the children, so they don't have time to practice. So that's why they're not good enough. But before going into the next Y level, they redid the audition. The same jury sitting in the auditorium, the same musicians coming in, but this time they put a thick carpet on the floor so you couldn't hear the steps. Yes, you're very clever. Exactly. The same musicians played the same songs and now the jury picked 50-50. So there is something with our gut feeling. You can feel it in your stomach. That is unconscious biased feelings. And I have them as much as anyone because we are raised with seeing geniuses in men and quality in men. And with the women, we are more, hmm, but can she really do it? Are we sure? No, nah, I, don't, I, I don't think she was as good as he was. So to get rid of the gut feeling, I started a very structured way of making my proposers to argue of quality out of those three words. Relevance, what's the relevance of the story? We don't talk about who is doing the story when we talk about that. What's the relevance or urgency of the story today? Why is it a story we have to listen to? It has to touch upon something that we realize this is what people right now are dealing with. The second point, the originality. We don't want to have seen it before. And the originality can be anything. It can be the combination of a new script writer and a director, or it can be the, the script we never seen before, or the platforms it will be toned on, or whatever. Whatever they find to say, to argue for the words, relevance, originality, I'm happy. But you need to get people to really argue. Because then you go away from the gut feeling and start actually describing. And the craft part, there you get into the persons. Who is the director? Have the director the potential to do things? And what about the cinematographer? And what about the combination? Do we really believe that this will end up on the big screen in a good way? And of course, then if you won prizes before, or if you have other kinds of experiences, that will make your chances uh, grow. But you need the combination. And so they argue about this. And then I ask them, so what is the purpose or the aim of the film? And we have made a success chart. And this is uh, bad in the sense that it's only measuring the admissions on cinema, which is, we all know that film reaches the audience uh, in many ways, but we never get the numbers. So the admissions are the only numbers that we have for sure. But of course, the film needs to want to reach an audience. And what is the audience? What is the target group? And where is the target group? On the, this, x, you can see the admissions. And Sweden is a small country, I don't know what admissions you are used to, but you can see that that 100,000, that is pretty good in Sweden. And then you have the critic awards, the quality index. So we take all the critic awards and we take an average. And the average three is the least we demand that the project has as a potential. And then we add on if the the film is invited to the big festivals, like A-listed festivals. And then you can get up to two points. So the square that won the Golden Palm in Cannes, of course, got two points. And that meant that it really reaches the top. So when they are proposing a film, we talk about the A, B, C, D corners. So the A corner is very high critic awards, maybe not a big audience uh, in the cinemas, which would probably mean that it's a festival film. And if it's a festival film, it will travel the world and reach an audience in other ways, and it will build the brand of Swedish film. So the A corner is... That is a very good corner. The B corner is a combination of national admissions and international recognition that is the square for instance and so if the film we all all want the b corner uh, almost but very few films end up in the b corner so you can have the potential in the a corner i don't know if you've seen sami blood which is a film by amanda chernel it was her debut it started off expected to have 1,500 admissions in the cinema in Sweden and ended up having 200,000 admissions only in Sweden. So it traveled from A towards B and it it got actually the highest critic award ever given to a film in Sweden since we started counting. And by the way, our top 10 list of critic awards are led by three women. So... You want the A and towards the B. You as well want a few percent in the C and the D corner. Because if you don't have that, we don't take risks. And art is about risk. So we are ending up usually in the C corner with about 14 percent, which is, I think that's a pretty good uh, percentage. In the D corner, there are some people in the old established film industry in Sweden, saying, we don't care about the critical awards. They're always so critical about our films. But if the audience are coming to the cinema, that is a proof of quality. And I say that, yeah, it's a kind of, but it doesn't build the Swedish brand if everyone is saying the films are mediocre, even though there are a lot of people going to them. So ending up in the D corner can be okay, but having it, as an ambition, is not okay. Yeah, (laughs) you've been through this. (laughs) So the strategy to get to the A and to the B corners, which must be the ambition, is actually to have a strategy that uses the tool to work for gender equality and diversity. Because when you have started to letting all the voices tell their stories then you you are using the whole talent base and the ones that are not women and are very white, they shape up. And that is exactly what happened in Sweden. Because they realized the, the way to the money got harder and unpredictable they didn't know how to get the money any longer. They were used to walk up to us and tell their old stories with their old friends and getting the money because no one questioned them. And then suddenly I came along and they were not very happy with me, I can tell you. (laughs) I came along and said, hey there, you are not doing quality, right? You're complaining and you're whining. So uh, we are going to work with diversity and gender equality, because we believe that that will actually make quality better. Then I told them, you don't know how to do quality. And they, I mean, I understand that they were not very happy. <laughs> uh, the interesting thing here was that the, you know, the, uh, the uh, journalists writing about film and doing the critique, they were not very happy either. Because what I told them was that they missed out, the women. Uh, So I've had quite a few of them complaining about me in media. So how did I work with gender equality? How did we end up 2017 to actually premiere 50-50? With every change management, you start off with a whining position, uh, which could be like any whining position. You have an office, it's too small, we need to change office. Uh, Then you say, where do we want to go? You make a goal or a target. And you say, yeah, we want to change this and go there. And then you, hopefully, you make a strategy, you have a time plan, and you have a budget. And you probably don't know how to do this. So usually people bring in a consultant. If it's a change of an office space, there is someone coming in, interviewing everyone, how are you working? And then they measure out how many square meters do you need, where do you want the coffee machine, how many meeting rooms do you have to have, and then they draw out the new office space. And that is no, no one believes that that is strange. But when it comes to gender equality, most people sit in the whining corner and keep on whining. So that is what I've been so sick about because I was 34 when I became CEO the first time at the Advertising Association. And, you know, all the questions, how my life puzzle and having a child and being divorced and how would I do it and how will I combine it, blah, blah, blah. And I was trying to talk about what needed to be done. But the talk, you know, you talk and you talk and it was the same words. And as I was more or less the only woman in leading position talking about gender inequality, very few women in leading positions admit that there is a problem. Because they, then they are sort of strange and have a problem. So they usually say, look at me, I made it, so there is no problem but they are the exceptions. So I said I'm an exception and that is not okay. So that meant that everyone in Sweden, whenever it comes to gender equality, the reporters call me. So I I, I did a lot of talking. After only like six months in the advertising association, I felt that this this is not taking me anywhere. I will start, go from talk to act. So that is what I've been doing. It doesn't really matter what you do. Because as soon as you start doing, things start changing and people have something to talk about. And then if you do the wrong things, yeah, okay, you redo, but you can't sit in the whining corner believing that that will take you anywhere. So the strategy for us was to act and to have an action plan where every argument that we get why there aren't Enough, And I picked female direc- directors in long features because that's the most prestigious position. So why aren't there? Yeah, the first argument you always get to hear is there are very few competent. Do you know they know they can't do it? And we just decided to prove them wrong. So we started a site, nordicwomeninfilm.com. We made it Nordic because I believe that If I invited my Nordic neighbors, they could start working on it. And of course, when it was the wording, they were with me. When I said, do you want to be with us in this site? Yeah, that's a great idea. We're with you. Okay, so we started doing. And then when we came along away and I said, okay, now we have to start to build the site. So now you have to start paying, acting. No one was with me any longer. And it was Two women, two men. So that's not the gender thing. So what we did was, we did it alone. So it's, it's really the Swedish women in film. A little bit history of, of Norway and Denmark, but not really. It took us three years to dig out the history to find the women. Because they were there all the time. But history tends to erase women. How many of you have heard about Lois Weber? The first female long feature film director in Hollywood? Isn't that interesting? She's made a hundred long features. She was before Griffith, A Birth of a Nation. We never heard about her. If you dig on her name in all the archives, in the libraries, uh, in the world, which we have done, you don't find her. So I said, okay, if we want to find her, how can we do that? Let's try to dig on her her husband's name because he made two long features. Yeah, he's there. (laughs) There are a lot of articles about him. And then you can find her in a sentence saying he was married to a very talented woman called Lois. That's all about it. So we have digged out all women in the five key positions of directing, script writing, producing, cinematographing and editing. And now we are adding on the new names. And we write articles about them. We tell the story around it. And as it's on the web... The women themselves then can use the articles and push them forward in that, you know, on Facebook. So it's like a PR tool for them. But as well, when anyone says there aren't any women, yes, there is. The next, uh, the next uh, argument is she's not experienced enough. And that is when we come especially to the bigger budgets. To do your first film, especially when you're young and pretty. That is no problem. But going on and getting established, that's when we become a problem. Uh, and there are so many examples of women that are picked for the first film. I'm talking, for instance, about Hunger Games, Twilight Zone, big budget films that made box office successes, especially as women tend to get less paid. So the ROI gets bigger for the financiers. That should be a very good idea. But as soon as they prove, there was actually an audience for a female protagonist-led feature film. Get rid of the woman and you bring in a man. So there are all men in the sequels. And they're not doing as well as the woman, which we all know that sequels tend to have the biggest audience on the first film. But anyways. That's, uh, it's a fact in all areas that men are picked on potential and women on experience. But if you never get to get the experience, it's very hard to show you had the potential. So you have to break that and take risks. So you have to give women exactly the same possibilities as the men So what we did is there are some women that actually succeeded to get to do bigger budgets or to do the second and third and fourth long feature, but there are very few, but there are lots of them that done their first films. So what we did was that we made a mentorship course, and this, I can tell you, everyone in the media loved to hate. I know as soon as you do things like that, the hatred starts, because you have something to complain about. So in this case, it was uh, women. Why should women have to have a mentor? They go the same education. And I'm, I'm totally with everyone. In directing, women don't need a mentor. But they need a mentor or a strategy to pass all the gatekeepers. That's what we need mentoring in. How to get into networks where the bros gives even the cysts a finance. So what we did was we picked out five, you don't know these people, so I won't explain them, but there are five established female directors and 10 that only got to do their debut. And out of those 10, there were films that won our guldbagge, which is the golden bug, and that's the Swedish Oscar, (laughs) Winning the Golden Bug, getting it for the best film in Sweden that year, should mean that you get your next film uh, directing immediately. She didn't, year after year. But it was always, no, this is too big budget for you. You've never done a big budget. No, this subject you can't do. No, women don't want to do stronger films. No, women don't want to do horror. We have heard all those arguments quite a lot. And she got to hear them all. So what I did was that I appointed a professor. She's in the picture. She's a professor in gender and organization at the Royal School of Technology in Stockholm. And she's done all her research about women in leading positions. And so she was giving the picture of the structure. And then they had uh, experience exchange So one experienced director with two that only got to do their first and they got to go through all these uh, situations where the women are picked aside and how to manage to go around. And I got them to meet our people because we are the first gatekeepers. So my people that are doing the proposing for funding, they have all these people coming to them personally. So they got to meet them in wine meeting to understand how do they work and tell their stories. Then I put a meeting together with them with the Producers Association, with the Producers and the Distributors Association. And it was very interesting that my people that I've been training quite a lot because they were like the jury in the auditorium, they picked the men all the time. So I've been having to uh, educate them Uh, to get them to put on new glasses to understand that there can be equality within a woman's project. And talking about the quality for those uh, words, relevance and originality, instead of talking about the gender. So my people, they, you know, they could show how they work, what they have in their pipeline, but they were terrified to meet the women. And the women were terrified to meet the my people. So I had to have crisis meeting with both of them separately. What are your expectations? What are your biggest fears? Blah, blah, blah. And it's, you know, they are pretty aggressive when they are terrified. So everyone was like, why do we have to be your tools, Anna? And, you know, I have to sort of explain, it's not me doing films. It's you doing films. So I'm trying to help you. So, okay. So the, the meetings with my people went very well, actually, because everyone was very prepared. The producers, they said, but, you know, we, we, uh, we only take the films that get distribution. So it's really the distributors that decide. And we tried to argue why that is not correct. And then we had the meeting with the distributors. And I said, yeah, but you know, we only take what we get. So the producers are the ones to decide. So then I said, "So okay, maybe we should have a joint meeting. So you two get together. Yeah, but you know, I really have to go now. Uh, And I never got to get that meeting. But it was very interesting. These women, half of them made their second or even third film. Half of them didn't. And that's because we demand exactly the same quality out of women. And their projects weren't good enough. And this is a problem for me because the women that now get denied our money believes that I'm not doing gender equality any longer. And I have to say, yeah, but I'm sorry, but maybe you're not good enough. Because it goes, of course, for everyone. We went from saying no 85% of all admissions, and we went up to 95%. So it's really, really hard to get our money, even if you are a woman or a man. This argument, there aren't as many young women as men who dream of becoming a film director. I've heard that so many times. Producers coming to me and saying, but you know, women never knock on my door. It's never that they come up with their portfolio. Uh, You know, it's always men that are coming. And there are two arguments for that. The first is, yes, it's actually true. Men tend to have a lot better self-confidence than women. So they do that. They take risks. They know they have nothing to lose. They're, so we did a survey to understand this. Why is that? And a very long story short is, when you ask a young woman if she, if she wants what she wants to do, and she says, I want to become a film director, the answer she gets is, a film director? Are you crazy? It's such a hard competition. Are you, do you understand how hard it will be? And, you know, you're going to travel months being away during weekends. Who's going to take care of the family? Are you sure you're up to it? Are you sure you're really convinced? Because, you know, that is a hard choice. And a lot of women looks on the history and realizes how hard it will get and they actually quit. Or they sit on their project and make it the best, 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 because they know they can only get one shot, so they don't take any risks. While a young man who wants to become a film director gets to hear, a film director, are you crazy? You realize how big competition it is? But what the hell, you go, what do you have to lose? Hey, you got potential, just try. And he knows that, yeah, yeah, he can fail once, twice, three times. He can still get to do a new shot. So he gets this big self-confidence. So there there is a a reason for women to be more reluctant on selling themselves uh, because they know that they usually get a no and then it's really hard. The other thing is when the producers say that the men are the only ones that come knocking on their doors. I tell them, so what made you think that you find the best quality by sitting on a chair and waiting for the quality to knock on your door? You go out scouting. And that is what we are doing all the time, actually, because we are counting. What I hear when I say 50-50, over time, not every year, 15 decisions a year is very hard to have exactly 50-50 every year. So we, we measure over a time period of four years. But what I hear is that you do the quota. And we are not doing quotas. We are doing quality. But it's really, really hard to get that message through. It can be the reason, because I, in the beginning, said, when I started off at the Film Institute and got the reporters because they knew I was there and what would I do with a gender inequality. And I said, I give it three years. And if I haven't achieved gender equality 50-50 over that period, I'm not afraid of quotas. And that made the industry move because when the money says we want women, then the production companies found the women. So that is a very easy way. We can see uh, over time in Sweden, I will show you that it really worked. and I guess you've understood that by now. (laughs) Uh, uh, That over time, when you do the counting and you achieve this, and now when everyone believes that we are, you know, in Sweden they're ready. That's fantastic. Now we see that the submissions with female directors is going down. And I think it's because now the producers show they didn't change. It was our money that changed, but the production companies didn't change. They just found the women because they believed that that was the easier way to get the money. Now when we're ready, they go back to their old friends. So the old directors come back, trying to get our money, and we have to go out scouting. So it's not that we are ordering films with female directors, but when the film producer comes up to us with his or her fifth male director we question that and we ask them show us what kind of program do you have what do you have in your pipeline because we want to push them to find the women again so counting all the time because that's what we are doing we're counting every decision meeting and we take decisions once a month That means that already in April, you can see how this year will turn out. If you do the counting once a year, you get the numbers April, the year after. And then you can say, oh, we didn't didn't manage. And then you're already halfway into the next year. But doing the counting and aggregating the numbers. So we take a decision, we take maybe 20 decisions at, at a meeting every month. Shorts, documentaries, and long features. And we talk about the projects out of the criterias, not about the gender. And we take the decisions. And then afterwards, we get the numbers. And then we can see, okay, in total, we are still only, for us, 2018, only 29% female directors. Okay, so then we can say, what about the rest of the year? Do we believe that we will get more, better numbers? And if not, what can we do? What kind of other actions can we do? So that makes you proactive instead of reacting with disappointment. We, as I said, it's our money that changed, not the industry. And to get the industry along, we uh, made a survey. We did a research, actually, uh, with the Producers Guild. Uh, And uh, not very... Many from the producers showed up, but the ones that did, they have really become our best ambassadors now because they really understand. But this was, I I wouldn't say that we did change the market. I think we are talking generations before we have changed anything really for real. When that little baby is grown up, maybe. (laughs) So what happened? I don't know if you can see the numbers here, But 2000 to 2005, we funded 20% female directors. This was during a period where we had a female CEO at the Swedish Film Institute saying that gender inequality was a big problem. But she added, but I will never, ever fund women just for the sake of it. We always go for the quality. So always, but think of the quality. The second period, 2006 to 2012... We funded 29% women. That was another woman saying exactly the same thing. We want gender equality, but never on the expense of the quality. Then I came, 2011, but we launched the action plan in 2012, and I said, "I'm not afraid of quotas because I believe women can do quality." Whoops, 49%. It was as easy as that. A little threat probably (laughs) so I'm now doing new threats as it turns out but you can see in the brackets it's the numbers when we are not along with the film when it's only commercial so you can see that the commercial money in Sweden looks uh, 2017 we're 23% not good 2018 I would say we are we will be 30 something not good enough So we really need to do actions to, at the end of the period, reach 50-50. Because when you look at the, the graphics, you can see we are really, really not doing quotas. For every year goes up or down. And if you are a small country like Sweden, we have 10 million inhabitants. So I guess this goes for you too. It's impossible to have every year an equality. In Hollywood, they could have if they wanted to. And they are even worse. So, but you can see in 2000, and so I started off here. And the uh, blue line is the directors. So it's going up, but sometimes going down. 2016, we we founded 64% female directors. Then I, of course, got to here. 64%, Anna, are you doing a reverse gender equality program now? (laughs) And then I say, yeah, okay, when we've seen this for 100 years, I might. (laughs) Because now you see it's going down, but I'm sure it will go up again because the trend is like that. If I, as Patricia said, I said I won't give up before we reach gender equality, which maybe not will be true because I don't think I will live that time, Uh, but I will certainly keep on doing And the reason for it is because I think I've proven that the women are as good as the men. Not all women and not all men, but as many women as men have the potential. So this is the gold bugger, the golden bug. The year 2010 to 2017, women won 56 of the awards, the the best ones, directing, screenwriting or producing. So you could say, so the women are actually better than the men. And maybe, probably not. But I would say we have a lack of those stories. We've had a lack of female perspective. And if you remember the when, I have to look at her name, Wanuri Kayu said yesterday about Rafiki, the lack of stories from Africa when someone is not dying. I mean... When we let other people tell their stories, we get new perspectives. And that is original, just doing that. And that means that when a woman is doing a film, it feels new to see a coming-of-age film because you've never seen it with a woman as a protagonist. Lady Bird, how come that was so talked about? Because it was weird seeing a young woman growing up. We've seen so many films about young men growing up. You have probably seen Boyhood. Yeah. Have you seen Girlhood? It is a film called Girlhood. It's a French film. Celine Sciamma made it. It's about five uh, Afro-French women living in a suburb of Paris. When I saw that film, it was like someone just punched me in the stomach. And I thought, why the gut feeling? Why is that? Because I'd never seen it before. And that is is not a good award to how the industry has been working. Because they do exist and they do have a life. And there are people out there wanting to reflect themselves in stories that they actually feel is about them. Looking on the international awards, Berlin, Toronto, I mean, we, the Berlin, Cannes, Toronto and IDFA in 2016, we had 24 films. It's quite a lot for a small country. 40%, 39% women. In Berlin, 2017, 50% women. Cannes, 67% women. And I would say Cannes, that is uh, extraordinary. Toronto, 50% women. And IDFA, 38% women. So the women can achieve Very good films. And when they do that, the men as well shape up. And that is what's happened in Sweden. Suddenly, everyone shaped up and we had a a bigger ambition. But in 2000, our action plan ran out, 2016. uh, And I realized that we didn't change anything for real. We just changed our money. So uh, then we decided to launch a new action plan just to have it top on mind. Because when you do things, you keep on talking about things. And then it's high on your awareness. And uh, I, uh, well, my minister of culture said, we want to do a seminar in Cannes. And, you know, doing seminars in Cannes, that's the worst idea you can ever have because we can never compete with Penelope Cruz or whoever it is. So we launched our first action plan in Cannes in 2013. And uh, it was very interesting. It was, I think, maybe 100 seats, maybe 20 reporters came. They were all aiming for the bar because we had a party afterwards. No one wrote anything. So this was only three years later. And suddenly, my minister of culture comes, and, you know, she wanted to be on stage and get the limelight. And we felt like, oh, that's going to be such a disaster when no one comes and we are sitting there. So we, we... when the Minister of Culture said, you want a seminar, you make a seminar. So uh, we arranged the seating so it should look full, even though it was empty. Uh, so we, I think we made a seat for 100, but, you know, made it very tight and uh, mixing it up with a bar. So it, when they were standing by the bar, it would still look like they were listening. The seminar was crashed. We had 180 people coming. And when Cameron Bailey, who is the programmer of TIFF, took a picture of me pushing it out in the, uh, on Twitter, writing, Anna Cerner is the new st- uh, rock star of the festival world. That's when Sweden woke up. That's when they realized, because it was published in the Swedish, Swedish biggest newspaper. That's when I got some support from the Swedish industry saying, Hmm, we're actually doing good so now they are saying that they are proud but they are delivering less women (laughs) so I have a problem with that so uh, in the new action plan we keep on uh, counting we are keeping up the uh, Education part, we are making reports. Last year it was, uh, and we have them in English, it was a report on how we came where we are now and how to go further. Uh, And this year it will be the money issue because even in Sweden, women don't get the bigger budgets. So when I was in Cannes, knowing how well a threat works, I was standing on the stage uh, this year, 2017, because my minister of culture wanted yet a seminar. So we made a new seminar. And this time, I actually was very surprised myself. She didn't only get the French minister of culture to be on stage, the French minister of gender equality was on stage. And in the audience, we had culture ministers from five other European countries, not even having anything to do, but listening and sitting there. That means that something happened with the Me Too movement, suddenly everyone realizes we do have a problem and we have to act. So they are, at least they are there. And on the stage, I said that we still have a problem with the bigger budgets. And if I don't see that the industry helps us by starting the change, we are considering to give all budget for the bigger budgets, which is 30% 30% of the long feature budget to only women the year 2020. My God, the shit hit the fan. I can't tell you. Whoa. I've been in all editorials, in all media since then, and not in a good way. I am the threat of freedom of speech. I'm the threat of the freedom of the arts. I am a threat for democracy. And in Sweden, I know we have the uh, Trump effect in Sweden as well. And the climate of, of discussion is so low. So I, this has been my hardest year ever, actually, because when you talk about the big money, you meet the big resistance. So the politicians that have been very supportive of me Now said, one in the opposition parties, and we just had an election, and he might become the new minister of culture. He said, I am willing to be standing on the front line for gender equality, but if Anna Cerner gets what she's threatening about, I will make sure that the Swedish Film Institute get less money. So me doing a threat was horrible, but he met it with a threat. So that is what you have to live with. In the action plan which makes us do new things now all the time. We as well introduced, which the shit hit the fan about that as well, the green card. And that was after the Me Too has just exploded in Sweden. In Sweden we have had 60 hashtags. One hashtag each for all professions. So for the actresses it was silent action, for the lawyers with what right, for the hairdressers, I don't know, I cut you, I don't know. <laughs> uh, very many funny ones, actually. But behind the funny tagline, or the hashtag, it was horrible stories. And the actresses started. So 450 stories about sexual harassment was published in the S- Swedish biggest newspaper. And, you know, everyone coming to me, what are you going to do about this, Anna. And I'm not on the production settings, as you understand, so it's not very easy for me. But what we said then was, obviously, no one cares about the legislation, because we have a very good legislation about working environments. But you obviously don't understand why we even get sexual harassment. So to get our production funding, we now require that the production companies show that they have taken new education to understand the reason for sexual harassment. And by the way, the same reasons why women don't get to direct. It's the difference in structures and power. And uh, that, of course, public money demanding feminism. And uh, yeah, if that's the price, getting rid of rapes in the shootings, we will have to do that. But it it really met a lot of hate from all the the reporters and the industry guild of the producers. But the real people going to the one-day trainings that we provide for free or the producers guild provide for free and we pay uh, through them. Uh, The producers and CEOs of the production companies love the educations. Because for real, no one wants sexual harassment. I mean, there is no decent person that actually don't say that this is horrible. But it's really, really hard. For, I guess you all in it, all these decisions. When do we actually stop because someone has been sexually harassed so bad? What is the difference between a rumor and actual actions? How do you do how do you make the decisions? It's, there is no easy you do like this. What you need to do is talk about it. So in these training days, we put the producers together and give them cases. And they can talk to each other. What would you do? Yeah, I would do like this. Which means that the next time things happen, they actually have friends understanding the language. So they can just pick up the phone and say, I'm in this situation. What would you do? So they, they love the training. They hate the requirement. But that's, uh, that's fine with me. Thank you. This session is presented by WIFT. The Big Screen Symposium is brought to you by Script2Screen and Janda. We would like to thank our event partners, the New Zealand Film Commission, New Zealand On Air, Images and Sound, Screen Auckland, and Stage and Screen Travel Services. Voiceover was provided by Samantha Dukes, and music by Poddington Bear.